Let's face it. We Americans, especially American Christians, can be rather arrogant sometimes. We come upon a national holiday like Thanksgiving, and in some ways we puff ourselves up all the more. After all, we're still the dominant religion in the most dominant military, political, and economic power in world history. We're sitting on top of the world, and we like it there. We get frustrated and sometimes even downright angry when we see anything happening that erodes our position of dominance, too. Someone objects to a nativity scene in front of a city hall somewhere, and immediately someone else elbows their way onto TV and pipes up, this shouldn't happen. America is a Christian nation. We take offense at the sight of a Jewish menorah. We ridicule Muslims for wanting to shield their wives and their daughters and their mothers from being gawked at like sexual prey. We sneer at the contrived artificiality of Kwanzaa. We need to get down off of our high horses, though, and abandon both our arrogance and our illusions. While America has indeed been blessed by God with many wonderful gifts for which we are grateful as we celebrate this holiday, we need to stop connecting our national identity and our Christian identity as being one and the same, or at least as being commingled. There were Christians, even Lutherans, among the founding fathers, that's true. But a good many others, especially the more prominent ones, were not Christians at all. They were deists and rationalists. They denied the Holy Trinity, denied the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture, denied the divinity of Christ, denied the miracles of creation and the miracles of Christ's ministry, denied His atonement for sin, and denied His resurrection. Most significantly, the fundamental document establishing personal liberties in our nation, the Bill of Rights, explicitly granted that there be no recognized governmental establishment of religion. Now, while this granted individual consciences the right to practice or refrain from any religion they so chose, it also opened the, do the door to the idea that in America, a person might take as equally valid any number of several paths toward understanding and even salvation. One other idea that was set in motion back then, however, continues to plague our faith and our country even today. That idea was the notion that America was somehow God's new chosen people, a nation that had his favor and whose people were the beneficiaries of some new covenant relationship like the people of Israel long ago. Remaining faithful to God, it was believed, would make the nation strong and prosperous. Being virtuous citizens would ensure that the life and the liberty and the pursuit of happiness that the Declaration insisted was every, every man's creator endowed inalienable rights real. Now there are numerous reasons why such an idea is both biblically and logically preposterous, of course. And we aren't gathered here tonight for a seminar in political history. Yet in light of our Old Testament lesson for this evening from Deuteronomy 8, we have good reason to explore why it would be both wrong and dangerous for us to seek to have our national identity be too closely connected to our true identity of being God's people. 
As Moses was reminding the people of the ancient nation of Israel of the blessings and the responsibilities they had as being God's chosen people, he's careful to point out that they had to perform the entirety of his commandments. Nothing else would do. Upon that obedience depended their gaining and their keeping of the land that had been promised to them through their ancestors. Upon that obedience depended the future fruitfulness of them and their offspring. Upon that obedience depended their very lives. So, do we want America to be like ancient Israel then? Do you want our survival and our well-being dependent upon our ability to keep the entirety of God's commandments? Do you? Not me. I want to run as far and as fast away from that deal as I can. And I know that there are 300 million other sinners out there, just like me, who are every bit as selfish and weak and corrupt as I am. And if our blessings on earth of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness depend on our obedience, we're doomed. But it's never really been any other way, has it, in America or any other nation, really. The sins were done differently depending on the sophistication of the civilizations, but they still broke the same commandments. The degree of offense those those sins give to our modern sensibilities varies greatly too, but no nation has ever earned, much less deserved, God's blessings and God's preservation. And preservation is, after creation, God's very next gift, isn't it? Upon the knowledge that Adam and Eve had fallen into sin... God had no obligation to confront them and the serpent. No obligation whatsoever to discuss it and to reveal a corrective action plan from that point forward. He would have been right and true to simply destroy his creation at that moment. For the man and the woman knew the punishment of eating from the tree that was in the midst of the garden. Yet even without that obligation, God was compelled by the love that he is to preserve his helpless creatures. He had known from before the beginning of that creation that it would come to this. And he knew how it had to move forward from here. He promised that there would be a way out of this predicament that they had caused. A cure that would come through the woman's seed. God also warned along the way, though, that there would be worldly difficulties and pain. Through it all, though, because of the greater eternal blessing of his promise... He provided Adam and Eve and all who followed them with all of those things needed to support their bodies and their lives as the Catechism teaches us. And for all this, it is our duty to thank and praise, serve and obey Him. But are we ever truly, genuinely and fully thankful? I'm guessing that we're not because I can't even begin to enumerate all of God's blessings given to us apart from the salvation that he has given to us and has promised to us by his Son? Can you? We should be thankful for indoor plumbing, hot water, microwave ovens. But we're not. Not really. Not normally. We don't really notice them unless something goes wrong. We should be thankful for the spice aisle in the supermarket and for a wide variety of fresh produce all through the winter. We should be thankful for penicillin and for band-aids. Are you? How about asphalt, cable TV, synthetic rubber, soap, toilet paper, Teflon? 
That's the problem with trying to make lists of the things that we're thankful for. If we made an honest list, it would be empty. To fill it up, we'd have to rename it as things that we should be thankful for, but mostly aren't. And even then, we'd only hit on a few highlights. We'd say family, friends, food, good health, and America. But would we remember things like plastic wrap and air conditioning? Man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Yet how many of us have probably spent some amount of time daydreaming at one time or another about what we would do with a lottery windfall of millions of dollars? But money doesn't buy happiness, does it? But it can buy a lot of opportunities and security and beauty and peace of mind. And that's why the love of it is the root of all evil. Love of money is the love of self and the desire to make one's own way in this world. It is quite the opposite of thankfulness because thankfulness is the willing acknowledgement of dependence upon someone outside of ourselves. And in the Christian heart, thankfulness is not expressed by saying thank you so much as it is in saying, I, a poor, miserable sinner, for any thought of all the good things in our lives immediately brings to mind our daily ingratitude and our unworthiness. As many as innumerable as our sins are, so also are the good things in our lives, the things like Teflon and dimmer switches and cell phones that we often take for granted. We cannot possibly list them all. Heck, we haven't even noticed them all. Thus does the Lord God warn Israel. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. It is God the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth. He laid that copper in the hills and that iron in the stones. He caused the wheat and the barley, the fines and the figs and the pomegranates to grow and the sweet water to flow down from the hills into the valleys. He brought his people out of slavery and he made them free in a land of prosperity where bread would not be scarce, where they lacked nothing. But with that prosperity came danger. Do not forget, they are warned. Do not grow complacent. Always, always look out for the serpent. Woe unto us, we have forgotten. Why else would we not list toilet paper and asphalt on our lists? How could we forget to thank God for Thomas Edison or the Wright brothers? or Albert Einstein, or Nikolai Tesla? Do we think that, like teenagers, that if we throw our dirty clothes on the floor, somehow little pixies will come and clean them and put them back in our dressers? Do we think that the refrigerator fills itself? Now, that's silly to be sure, but it's serious as well. For our view of creation has been no less self-centered and vain. Repent, all of us. But do not be afraid. For if earthly mothers and fathers continue to earn paychecks and keep doing laundry and changing oil and shopping for groceries, then God is even more faithful, more loving, more devoted to your well-being. He does not love you because you say thank you. He loves you because that is who He is. It is what He does. He is love. While you were still a sinner, and while you still hated him, he sent his son. 
He sent His Son because He loved you. And this is the way that He loved you too. He sent His Son. This is love. And shouldn't we be thankful for it? Of course. But our giving thanks does not add anything to it. God does not need our thanks and praise. He does not need someone to love, but He gives love to love. And He loves to give. He loves to forgive. And since it's not Mother's Day or Father's Day, I'll dare to even tell you another secret. He loves you more and better than your father or your mother do. We pray then that God would fill us with thanks and praise, and that we would bless His name, that we would be humbled to be served by Him. We pray that He would make us thankful, not only for the mundane things of this world like weed whackers and fingernail clippers and fresh fruit all winter, but that we would look in awe at the Bible, that God Himself would cause us to understand and trust that it is His holy and His infallible Word. Thank God for the doctrine revealed there, for the revelation of His Son there, and for all of His faithful prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors that bring it to us. God Himself would speak with us, would comfort us and encourage us there, would guide us and protect us. May we remember at the altar tonight that we are surrounded not only there, but at all times with armies of holy angels who protect us from the demons and who join their worship with ours. May we tremble with joy at the thought that God would enter into our flesh and that He would join Himself to us through simple bread and wine. Of the things for which we should be thankful, there is almost no end. And certainly one of them is the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. Thank God for those too, indeed. But what God has done for us, our hearts cannot contain. Our thanks cannot express. Our cups runneth over. Our God is good. His mercy endureth forever. He loves us. He forgives us. And one day He will come to bring us home. And there we will live in the truly free, in the long-promised land, free of serpents and with no forbidden fruits. In His holy name, amen.